I think it's just a misunderstanding of the nature and essence of the church. And that comes from almost five decades of church growth movement mentality. And there's lots of good things that came out of the church growth movement, lots of good things. But one of the things is that it, it made us think that the church was all about the Sunday gathering. And, it, and the church really did become a vendor of religious goods and services. And that's why people, I mean, if you ask somebody, why do they attend or why are they a part of a certain church? 99% of the time, they'll give you a consumeristic answer. They'll say, oh, because we love the preaching or we love the youth ministry or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think part of it is we just, there's a misunderstanding of the nature and essence of the church that it's what happens on Sunday morning. But then related to that is what you just said, absolutely it has to do with misguided metrics. And, you know, those metrics, you know, a lot of times we all of us use different language and, you know, kind of silly, you know, we'll talk about buildings, budgets and butts. It's the number of people that show up, how much money they give. And then like, what's our seating capacity or what the size of our campus. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Wow, what a great day it is here. I don't know what the weather's doing where you're at, but it's a great day. We're definitely getting into fall here in the Pacific Northwest, which just makes me want more coffee. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you what, I love coffee probably more than I should. I joke about this with our family because my dad, who was lifelong Midwesterner where I was born and raised... He just had a pot of coffee on all day and just drank it morning till night. It never kept him up, nothing, whatever. I'm sort of becoming that guy. But boy, I love coffee, and I'm a bit of a coffee snob. Got a little spoiled out here. You know, We owned a very, very popular coffee shop and restaurant here in Tacoma, the Shakabra Java, for eight years. And uh, what wonderful coffee we had there. Always brought that home, ground up, and made that. After we sold it, couldn't get it for a while. Tried everything. Mm-mm, not so good. But now we got our hookup and we're getting back to getting the the Shaka blend. Yeah, love it. Here's some right now. Yeah, loving that coffee. <laughs> hey, let me tell you about an uh, upcoming opportunity for us to hang out live together for some of y'all, but I guess any of you could if you wanted to travel. I'm going to be doing an Everyday Disciple workshop in Dallas, November 10th here in 2021, coming up not too long into the future, a couple months. Everyday Disciple Workshop, and that is going to be a a packed day, very experiential learning, where I'm going to set some of the foundations for understanding our gospel identity and gospel fluency and the rhythms of life as a disciple maker in in all of life. It's going to be a packed day. I'm really excited about it. If you want to join us for that, it's not my event. I'm being brought in to do this. But if you want to join us for that, it's open to the public. Bring some folks, bring your spouse, bring teams. To get all the information on where that's at and how to register, you can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Dallas. That'll take you to a registration page, plenty of info, and you can get some tickets for that. I think it's going to fill right on up, so you might check that out. If you're anywhere within striking distance of Dallas and you want to hang out and do some interactive training on discipleship as a lifestyle, and Tina will be there with me too. How fun will that be? Also, 
Pretty soon here, we're closing the door on an upcoming coaching cohort that we're doing together. Tina and I coach as couples, and we coach couples. If you're interested in that at all, now is your time. Go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching. There's a little short form there, page that'll explain lots of stuff. We can get in touch with each other. I can get on a Zoom call, explain it, and maybe there's still slots and time for you to join us here real soon. Okay, I hope you will. Now, I have a guest today. If you listened last week, I promised you someone special. My guest is Brad Briscoe. Some of you know Brad, or maybe you know of Brad from his decades of work within missional movement, but Brad is currently the director of bivocational church planning for the North American Mission Board. So he's a pretty busy dude. I was excited to be able to get him here to talk to us on the podcast. Super smart guy. He holds a doctorate in the area of missional ecclesiology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And his doctoral thesis, like this is what he lives and breathes, was on assisting existing congregations in transitioning in a missional direction. He's also authored a whole bunch of books. Maybe you've read them. He's got Missional Elements, which is a 12-week study like for small groups to help them move towards that. He wrote Missional Quest and Next Door As It Is in Heaven. I love this guy. Him and his wife have three kids, and but here's also something you can just kind of understand his heart. They fostered more than 50 other kids besides their three. You can read a lot of his stuff and get more of his heart. He blogs regularly over at the missionalchurchnetwork.com, missionalchurchnetwork.com. I'm going to let you listen to a conversation that he and I had about the stories that we are telling as the church and how maybe it's time we started to tell new, fuller stories of being the church and not just posting loads of pictures and social posts about our Sunday service and our worship band. I love this guy and his heart for God and the church and for the mission. I think you will too. Take a listen. I'll be back afterward to give you a few more thoughts and tell you just how to start to change all of this in your world. And then I'll give you the big three for the day. Here we go. Hey, Brad, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate this. You're maybe the busiest man in rock and roll (laughs) and or church planning and discipleship, I I know. But I am also kind of excited because I've just not seen you in a while and I get to see you while we talk about this. But uh, man, I miss you, brother. What are you giving the best efforts and time to these days? I know you not too long ago, you were just telling me before we got started, you've moved to Tampa area. That's pretty exciting. But what are you giving your heart and your effort and your time to mostly? Yeah, well, first, Caesar. yeah, it's great to be with you. And yeah, it's been good grief. I don't know, three years, four years, maybe, since we've actually hung out together. So uh, well, all the conferences I've, died, you know what right. I mean? That's right. We used to so, get paid to, very, very little to come and hang right. out and party together, you know? <laughs> very little. So yeah, what am I giving my time to? Probably the most right now, just lots and lots of conversations with leaders, you know, navigating COVID, rethinking church a bit. A lot of it's around bivocational and co-vocationalism. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I would say especially the last year and, and definitely the last few months, I'm, I'm giving more of my time to conversations around those topics than, than anything. Yeah, for sure. And you have really been the guy to coin that term co-vocational. You know, we've always, we've all used bivo <laughs> for a long time and you entered in covo. So now I'm hearing people hyphenate it, you know, bivo covo <laughs> like that. Yeah, well, I usually use both. I'll say all the time. I, I, I still use both bivocational and co-vocational. And just really quick, the little nuance for me is bivo is somebody that has a part-time job in the marketplace. So they kind of see as temporary. So their hope is the church grows large enough. They can leave their part-time job uh-huh. and focus on the church. Covo for me is someone that has a primary calling in the marketplace. 
that they never intend to leave. So in other words, they know God's called and wired them to be a web designer or an architect or a school teacher. But at the same time, God's called, they feel like God's called them to start something. So I just want to say, look, you don't have to choose between like, you know, calling in the marketplace and, and mission or ministry. You can actually align those two things together. So I just hope the word co-vocational just kind of cracks open the imagination a little bit for some people to see that there's actually a way to align those two things together. Yeah, and I think that's part of what's kept my heart knit close to you and what you talk about and write about and blog about because Tina and I, we've been serial entrepreneurs our whole life. I think we're on business number 17. (laughs) That's crazy, right? But we've always been fully engaged in ministry, even when it wasn't a vocational thing. You know, we were running multiple companies and and just serving and traveling and all that. And then along the way, it kind of flipped where our primary focus is making disciples and equipping and coaching and working with churches and leaders and but we still run other businesses. <laughs> you know, it's like, I guess it's maybe some of it, that entrepreneurial heart and the apostolic heart, it's very similar and it beats very strong in us. I, we love starting things and I love that passing on, you know? So what are some of the effects on the church you're seeing right now within this post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, who knows what, <laughs> what we're experiencing? What are you seeing right now? What's bringing you hope and, and what is maybe concerning you a little bit. There's a lot of talk about this. I've talked a lot about it here on the podcast, but yeah, what are you seeing? What's bringing you hope and what's concerning you? Well, it's funny. Those two things are actually related, I would say. They're kind of coming out of the the same framework a bit. I mean, some of the hope is seeing members in the church, but then also church leaders that the, the pandemic has forced them to reconsider their strategies of mission and ministry. So I see people starting new things, certainly becoming more local. There's a lot more, I think, local engagement. And when I say local, I mean neighborhood type of engagement. But then on the flip side, what's most concerning is relating to that as well. I mean, I I just have lots, and I'm sure you have too, Caesar. I've had lots of conversations over the past several months with church leaders who, in a sense, are experiencing just an enormous crisis in their own ministry uh, because they thought the pandemic was going to help kind of push their church in, in kind of new ways or creative directions towards mission. But now they realize that that default kind of mechanism is so strong to just go back to the way things were before the pandemic. But what's happened, I think, is a lot of people haven't come back, but the people that have come back want to go back to the way it was before, but they're trying to do what they've always done with fewer people because there's other people that that haven't returned kind of to the Sunday gathering or the, the programs and activities of the church because they want to move in a different direction. So- there's, so it's funny in the midst of COVID, yeah, there, there's both hope and concern. There's hope that there's some people that really are moving in a new direction and they see that we've got to rethink the nature and essence of the church. And at the same time, there's those that just want to go back. And we all know we can't go back. It's just never going to be the same, regardless of how much you want it. Yeah. Uh, it it's a very, it's, it's a radically different day that we're, that we're living in today. Well, and go back to what was dying and not working and producing disciples anyway. Right. Just, exactly to, right. just to hit the nail on the head there a little bit. Right. Well, with I've, fewer people, right? With, <laughs> with fewer people, crazy. fewer resources, right. right? Right. And I've talked about this the whole pandemic. I'm su- sure you have too, that I like for us, we've been praying for years that something that would shake us up as the church to cause us to have to rethink and, and reimagine and, and start to look more outward and all that. And while I've talked about it being an exciting time, because it's kind of forcing our hand in many ways. And like mm-hmm. you said, a lot of people have sort of moved out to try new things, try on for size community in a new way or micro churches and all the things that we're excited about. 
Uh, most of the people who come back are not. <laughs> but um, I recently read from a, a friend of ours, I won't name him, but he's actually been on the podcast with us before, but he wrote recently that pastors are burned out and they're at the bottom of the barrel, scraping the bottom, and they're just tired of being told they should be excited. And I, and I, and I read that and my heart twinged both hopeful and like, hey, put on your big boy pants, you know, like, like not to be, you know, like callous, but I felt like here's why my heart breaks is that to hope that people who've never seen discipleship as a lifestyle, to hope that pastors who've never really been discipled in how the gospel speaks in and transforms every bit of life and their culture and their neighborhood and how to be with not yet believers and help people move from unbelief to belief, to expect that people who've never experienced that will just magically figure it out. It's never, that's not happened. And it's not happening. And I think that's probably why we're both as busy as we've ever been trying to help people move some of those ways. And I think there's key tipping points. I think there's dominoes that start to tip us and go, hey, now that's starting to fall in the right direction. And you recently wrote a post. Maybe you've wrote like longer about it, but I just saw it as a Facebook post. And, and, you, and you said, if we are serious about changing the culture within the church, then we must begin to shape the narrative that leaders tell. And, oh, man, that immediately caught my eye. That just, oh, in my heart. And then you went on and you said, I'm all for celebrating what we do as the gathered church on Sundays, but if that's the only story we're telling through social media, in other words, who's preaching, what are you preaching, how great the worship band is, how many people showed up, then we'll continue to get what we continue to highlight, that being more consumers who think, Church is simply the things we do on Sunday mornings. Wow, man, what what are you? What caused you to write that? What are you seeing that's, you know, brought that out? Because man, I'm still turning that over in the soil of my head and heart. Yeah, there's probably several things there, Caesar. I mean, yeah. I think one is having conversations with church leaders that are like lamenting or bemoaning the fact that many people aren't coming back. Um, so it just just having those conversations, just thinking, my goodness, we, what, what, for me, what the pandemic and what those kinds of conversations does is it just emphasizes how amazingly centralized the church in North America has been and is to where everything is tied into the Sunday gathering in some way. So that was part of it. And then the, the other piece is just comments I see on social media, most of the time on Saturday night, sometimes on Sunday mornings, where there's comments over and over and over again, things like, you know, can't wait to, don't miss tomorrow, or I can't wait to see you tomorrow, or be there, you know, or there's one guy, I've, I've seen him post this multiple times, uh, he'll, he'll post on Twitter that church is a Saturday night decision. Well, I just think, well, wait a minute. Yeah, I get what he's saying. Oh, that's, but that if, breaks my heart right now. I know, Ooh, church uh, is a Saturday night up. decision. Like, so it's all about the Sunday gathering. So that, that's the narrative. You know, I mean, that is the current narrative that church is just about Sunday. And that's why we have preaching conferences and worship conferences that, and I just think, um, yeah, probably the greatest paradigm shift that needs to happen in our, in our heads and in our hearts is the way we understand the nature and essence of the church. That for, for most people, the church is just a place where certain things happen on Sunday morning, or even worse yet. And you alluded to this, that church is a vendor of religious goods and services that, the people just think, well, church is what I do on Sunday or church is where I go for great preaching or great worship or great children's ministry or youth programs. And I just think that's a narrative that we have to change. And, and, and I, again, a lot of people thought the pandemic would do that. The, the pandemic would force us in a different direction and think differently about the church. 
But the part that I'm concerned about and, and sometimes can be discouraged is all those comments, you know, on social media on Saturday night and Sundays where you see pictures oh, of, yeah. of the church being the gathered people just on Sunday that uh, it's just not helpful. I would say it's not biblical and it's not helpful. We just, I also, we, we need to change that narrative. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I also see people that I know are, are live missionally and they, they'll barely ever post anything. And then they post, they're so excited because they got a new space. And then for like two, three weeks, they're just posting tons and tons of pictures of some dumpy warehouse that now has a bunch of folding chairs set up. And then they post Sunday after Sunday, what they're preaching there. And they're so stoked about it. And I'm like, well, I'm glad that the family has grown and, ha- and needs a bigger living. Right. I, I'm all for it, but wow. And then I'll tell you what, on the Everyday Disciple podcast uh, Facebook group, which we got thousands of people in there, um, there's we always get these rogue posts. It's all, it's supposed to just be for discussing missional things and uh, the episodes and asking questions and being able to stay connected as a community a little bit. But I, I, I always get people who rogue post. They're not supposed to, but they do. Guess what 100% of it is? It's what be you, about Sunday morning. Yeah, right? it's there. And it, by the way, brother, it's not just North American. It's all over the world. Mm. It's tons of really grainy videos of them preaching or their worship conference or, you know, and I'm like always like delete posts. I'm bro, it's like, this isn't what we're here to talk about. Did right. you listen to the podcast at all? Like, you know, like, like I'm all for that stuff, but this isn't a place for it. And that's not even the primary goal. Now, let me ask a, like the next question then. What do you think's caused all of this where that's such the story we tell and it's the only thing we focused on and why it still remains after so many years of guys like you and me and, and Hirsch and Halter and, and, and Lance and I mean so many people pushing on it. Is it caused by bad metrics and measurements of what health and success looks like for the church? Yeah. So Caesar, I think there's, it's multifaceted, but I think the two big buckets, one is what you just mentioned. And before we talk about that, I would go back to uh, just a comment I made earlier. I think it's just a misunderstanding of the nature and essence of the church. And that comes from almost five decades of church growth movement mentality. And there's lots of good things that came out of the church growth movement, lots of good things. But one of the things is that it, it made us think that the church was all about the Sunday gathering. And, it, and the church really did become a vendor of religious goods and services. And that's why people, I mean, if you ask somebody, why do they attend or why are they a part of a certain church? 99% of the time, they'll give you a consumeristic answer. They'll say, oh, because we love the preaching or we love the youth ministry or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think part of it is we just, there's a misunderstanding of the nature and essence of the church that it's what happens on Sunday morning. But then related to that is what you just said. Absolutely. It has to do with misguided metrics. And, you know, those metrics, you know, a lot of times we all of us use different language and, you know, kind of silly, you know, we'll talk about buildings, budgets and butts. It's the number of people that show up, how much money they give. And then like, what's our seating capacity or what the size of our campus? Here's the question. What you're running on Sunday? Yeah, that's right. That's what people, how big is your church? All of that. That's right. But I think the reason we do that is it's tied into what we value or think is important, which is the Sunday gathering, but also because it's easy. I mean, counting those things are very easy. It's, count, it's easy to count how many people show up. So I, I talk about all the time that if we're going to make a shift, we have to change the scorecard. We have to change what, both what we count and what we measure. And I like to say we use those two words interchangeably, but they're not. They're different. Counting yeah. is quantitative. Measuring is qualitative. So we need say to that count. again, man. Say that well, again. Well, I say counting is quantitative, 
and then measuring is qualitative. Mm. So they're both good and important, but typically in the church world and the nonprofit world, we only count. We just, and we count the things that are easy. Well, I would say, look, you don't have to stop counting. We just have to, we need to count different things. We need to count missionary behaviors and activities. So in the church, we need to count things like how many meals did you have with lost people? How many lost people have you had in your home? How many hours of people in the church mentoring kids at the elementary school down the street? I mean, the sky's the limit. There are dozens and dozens and dozens. I've got a whole list and a download things. we send people. Of like yeah, that's excellent. New measurements then, of success, for instance. And here's a page worth. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Well, and then just real quick, the difference for me with counting and measuring is measuring, as I said, is qualitative. It's about change. So I'll say, look, we need to measure change inside the church, which is discipleship. And then change outside the church as it relates to change that we want to see take place in the communities in which our church and, and where we live. So things around education and around crime and around employment, oh, all man. of those sorts of things. So, yeah. so yeah, I think absolutely. You said is part of the issue is our metrics. I, I would agree with that hundred percent. And and to try to sort of get to the thing behind the thing a little further again is I wonder if what we measure being all those sort of consumeristic you know, sort of business measurements has a lot to do with like, do we view or understand our relationship with God as one that's transactional? Mm. You know, like if I do this, then God does that. Or Jesus did this, but I have to say this, and then I have to stop sinning and do a lot of behavioral management. And then if I do that, and I I think the scales tip, then I'm probably making it to heaven and, and you know, all that. And I think when we see our relationship with God as largely transactional, in other words, mm. what he did and what we do, like there's a lot that he did. There's so much like the cosmos, it all shifted at the cross. But if we only see God as something, someone who does this and does that and did this, then that's how our relationship flows. And when we do, I think then, of course, we're going to see the church and its services through transactional lenses and consumeristic choices as well. And maybe that's why we hear the stories we do. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that, Caesar. I think that's really good. So, yeah, on the, so I, I want to ask you a question. Then what's the flip side of that? I mean, my, my initial thought is that instead of being transactional, that if we have more of a what I would call a missio day theology that we're participating in what God's already doing in the lives of other people, then hopefully it's not transactional. I just wonder, yeah, what, what are your, yeah. How would you flesh that out I, a little bit? More? I, I really don't think our relationship with God is that relational. We talk a lot yeah, about it. We go. talk a lot right. about, you know, my personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, okay, how many decisions did you make today? I don't know. Uh, hundreds. How many of those did you talk to Jesus about? Now, I'm not saying you have to stop and yeah, go, should I have a sip right. of water? Should I have a sip of water? I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying we make huge life decisions. And you go, like, did you pray about that? Did you talk to God? Did you check in with community to check the spirit together and all that? No, we don't. So we, when we teach gospel fluency, Brad, we often do, and I've talked a lot about it here on the podcast, through the, the tool lenses of these four questions. And it always starts out with whatever issue, let's start with what do we know to be true about God and his character, who he is? The second question is, we don't want to just talk propositions. So can we prove that like where we see what he's done throughout scripture and in our own life and church and, you know, recent years and all that. And whenever we ask this question, so what do we know to be true of God and what he's like in light of this? Everybody always goes to, well, he does this, he did that. And so what we do is because we live in such a do to be 
You know, what we do equals right. our value culture. That's the beast. I believe it 100% of scripture when it talks about the beast, it's that world system of what you do equals your value versus it flows from God as image bearers. When we live under that do to be tyranny and no one corrects that, then we have, guess what? We do to be God. You know, when you, people get super pissed off at God, they're angry. Oh, I used to be a Christian, but then, you know, I lost my job. Or I used to be a Christian and my dad got sick and I asked God to heal him and he didn't. And that's it. I'm done with, you know, it's all this genie in a bottle due to be transactional relationship with God. And no kidding, because for all of humanity, we've always wanted to paint God in our image, right? And so I think we're due to be God. That's transactional. And I think that how we start to flip that is we start to help people understand who the character of God is and that he does what he does flowing from his identity, the reality of who he is. And guess what? We get to as well. Boy, oh boy, we've seen the lights go on for so many like people. That. We've seen the lights go on. With... So I think that might be some of the stuff behind the thing. Well, how do we begin to tell an alternate you know, story? How do we tell alternative stories and narratives within the church? What do you think? Well, first, I think we need to just tap into or recognize the power of stories. And I know you've talked about this before, Caesar, but we just don't tell enough stories. And stories, I mean, we are a storied people, right? And we, it just cracks open the imagination of people. They, it, stories help people see things that like bullet points don't, but also stories help us to like recognize that this isn't rocket science. And it's like, you know, we'll tell a story and sometimes a light bulb will go off for somebody and they'll say things like, Oh, well, I could do that. So I think we need to just, recognize, we need to recognize the power of stories. Great. But then when I, I think we need to tell an alternative story and, you know, and I'll say to people, look, you don't have to stop talking about your Sunday gathering. You don't have to stop posting pictures of the worship band. Maybe don't post as many, but what if we start posting stories and pictures of people actually engaging in mission outside the walls of the mm. church on Sunday morning? I mean, there's all kinds of beautiful, I mean, we know every single church have people in that body that are engaging in radical hospitality and they're serving their neighbors and there's issues of justice and reconciliation yep. and restoration and compassion that they're engaging in. But for some reason, we don't like telling those stories. And part of it, I think, is yeah, again, we, we kind of miss the, um, the, the understanding of the nature of the church or the essence of the church. But also, it's funny, almost every time I talk about this, someone will say, yeah, but it sounds kind of prideful. It's like, hey, here, you know, here's a picture of me doing such and such. And I think, well, first off, what? So posting a picture of you preaching isn't prideful? With a bunch of lights and a little bit of smoke <laughs> going. And right, the fog machine. Right. But I'll say, look, if you really have a problem with it, first off, tell the stories of other people then. I mean, but there's times you just got to get over it and say, look, I'm going to tell this story of something that I, I had the privilege or opportunity to engage in in my neighborhood and just hope that it cracks open the imagination of some other people. So I just, yeah, we just have to tell some of those stories. It just helps people see what's going on, helps them get a little different, bigger, broader, more concert, comprehensive view of the church, that it's not just about the Sunday gathering, but it's about what the, really what the, all the people of God are engaging in the other six days of the week. So I think that's part of telling an alternative story. And that takes a great intentionality, though. It really yeah, does. That takes, that takes like, right. hey, decidedly, we're going to start telling different stories. Right. I, can, I can remember uh, like 
early on here in Tacoma when, you know, when I was still, you know, one of the leaders at the helm, we were very obviously big on story. We always were. We would do whole preaching series and, and, and how we would communicate everything through like lots and lots of people coming up and telling their stories, good, bad, and ugly, you know, of how this is working out in their life or how their kids are experiencing this or what's changed for them in their heart or their neighbors. And at one point we actually appointed a scribe, you know, how there Mm. used to be, you know, in kingdoms, there'd be a scribe. And we just had someone who had a really good watchful eye and they could really capture story. And that became their blessing within our community was to be the scribe and capture story. And sometimes, you know, just iPhone that stuff. We would do big days of service. We called sacred space. We'd go out. We always had that stuff filmed, like not really professionally or expensive, but we'd edit it up just seeing people serve and have meals with their neighbors and have deep conversation and, you know, fixing some mess that was going on in the neighborhood or, you know, repairing that's I'm building out a garden area or none of it was like amazing, but those things, boy, those things are still what people talk about. And I even encourage people in their preaching and teaching, like we give out outlines, we give out a full sermon out, sermon series outline for the gospel primer. And so for each of the eight weeks in that thing, we go, okay, so here's where you want to have people who have just gone through this week come up and ask them these three questions. And I talk to the churches all the time and they're like, oh, we're loving this. We're doing the whole thing. I'm like, tell me about the interviews you've been having. Yeah, we kind of blew that part off. I'm like, because it took a little bit of extra work, you know, right. and I'm like, oh, th- but listen, that's the gold. I promise you, I, I, right. I I promise you, someone just yesterday in one of our coaching calls told me a story of, they taught something we were coaching them on about just the simplicity of asking God, what's next, Lord, and then doing that. And so this this elderly woman did that, and God said, oh, take that lady some flowers, you know, a neighbor, right, or someone they had met at Target. And she says, but I don't know where they live. So she took the lady flowers at Target and then bawled her, that lady's bawling her eyes out at work and all this, and oh my gosh, and here's my connection, here's how to get a hold of me, and... Well, they, I said, you told that story Sunday, right? You know, if you, did you gather? He said, yeah. I said, did you tell it? Oh yeah. Like, I'm like, do that every week, bro. (laughs) Do that every week. Well, I love you use the word capture. I just think for anybody listening to the podcast and they're trying to decide where to start with all this, that's the first thing you have to do is you have to set up some type of maybe almost like a system to capture those stories. And maybe it's on a website, maybe it's a Google doc, maybe you figure it out, but how can you get people in your congregation in your church to tell those stories and begin to capture those stories. And then I would say the second part after you capture them, then is you just have to tell those stories over and over and over again and find different ways to do it. I like what you said. You would have a camera there. You'd video. It wouldn't have to be, you know, super professional, but sometimes maybe you're telling those stories one-on-one. Sometimes maybe it's through an email. Sometimes it's, you know, it's through some other kind of communication through your church. Maybe it's on a website, maybe it's a video, but just find different ways to tell those stories. And over time, it's going to capture people's imagination and they're going to engage in mission on a, on a fuller, deeper level. Exactly. Exactly. And people, are, I know people right now are hearing this going like, I have no time for that. Like, I've got so much stuff going on and I got that message prep. And I'm saying, make this part of your message prep. Right. Make this part of your leadership development. Because I, I 100% listen to some older brothers here. It, you can preach your guts out and be get every best quote from Logo software in that thing. <laughs> and you can bring up somebody just from your community tells like a two minute little narrative of what went good, what went bad, what God showed them about that and all that. And that's what people are going to remember. That's what's going to move their heart to go, hmm, maybe what about us? Maybe us. Because story brings implication. That's right. And it's so much more powerful than application. Application wears off. It rubs off. They have to come back every week for someone to apply the balm, the ointment, the medicine. Implication is like, wait a second. If that's... 
really? We get to? Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Sometimes <laughs> I'll hear people, they'll say things like, oh, that's what you've been talking about. It's like when they hear the story, the story just gives them the picture. Uh, and, and then they, and again, as I said earlier, and then the other thing that it does is it helps them see or realize they can actually do that. It's like, oh, this isn't as complicated as I thought that story that, you know, yeah, I could do that. So yeah, you just have to have to tap into the power of stories. What examples of really meaningful stories have you seen emerging? Any, anything come to mind as far as, well, that, that one really moved me. And I, that's a prime example of what I'm talking about here. Well, I mean, there's lots of little stories. I mean, I'm talking to church leaders all over the place where even in the midst of COVID that they have individuals that have, you know, reached into their neighborhood like they never did before. I was talking to a guy just the other day that so many of the people in his church started to prayer walk in the midst of COVID for their own like physical well-being to like get in certain miles, but also they just started walking more. They were local more, you know, they weren't driving into the city to go to work. So they were spending more time in their neighborhood. They were starting to recognize and notice things they hadn't seen before because they were walking rather than driving the car. They've met neighbors. It has just opened up other opportunities. And then there's just been great stories of people that I've seen starting new things. You know, if it's a brand new micro church or it's kind of a network of things. And as we, mentioned kind of getting started, Caesar. even though I am concerned about the existing church and that whole thing of let's get back to normal, the encouraging piece is without a doubt, there's more kind of creative expressions, smaller expressions of church that are being birthed all over the country. And I give you, I mean, just lots of different examples in cities all over the place where people are just saying, no, it's time to experiment, innovate, be creative and try something new. And those are the things that just bring me the most joy and encouragement, I guess. And I would want to encourage people in that. Obviously, that's what we're trying to do together today. But I'd want to encourage people in that, too, in all those new things that you're trying out, micro churches or a new community thing, or just, hey, we're gathering up some friends in the neighborhood and we're doing this or whatever. Don't fall back to then saying, okay, I can't believe we had 12 people here last night. Talk about the transformation of the heart. Talk about the relational shift that's happening amongst those people and their relational shift with their heart towards God and understanding his heart towards. Talk about those things. And I know pictures don't capture some of that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, a big room full of people, you go, oh, there's a lot of people in there. But resist the urge. Not too many episodes back, I had Peyton Jones on. We're talking about Mm -hmm. discipleship in your unique context. And he said, and he was kind of talking to church planners at this point. He goes, if you're just getting started, how would you describe your church or micro church or whatever's going on if you couldn't describe the Sunday gathering? Love that. And I put that out on social, just that question. I got a lot. I got a lot. But you know what? Unfortunately, it was kind of like, wah, wah. Some people posted back, well, and you know, if I couldn't describe it on Sunday morning, I would describe, you know, and it was just, they still were kind of missing the point. And, and I want to call people, if you're, if you're brave enough right now and you're out there pushing into trying some new stuff to be the church instead of just go to church, resist the pull back to only talk about and FaceTime or, you know, or, I mean, Facebook and social media out, all that old metric stuff. Really work hard to tell little micro stories to go along with them or so-and-so said this. And I, I know sometimes people don't want to be talked about, like you said earlier, but oh boy, oh boy. We did every week in all the years when I was there at Soma leading that, every week we would do what we called Acts of the Spirit you know, just like the book, (laughs) right? Or the Bible. And people would just tell, here's what's going on. Here's what the spirit of God did this week. And we just get five, we take just, you know, five, 10 minutes. People just tell little things 
but every week. It was always like, we got to hear these little narratives. We have to. And then guess what? It's always was magical. Like, so then we're teaching from this book today, this passage, and you go, oh my goodness, doesn't this just remind you of what, you know, Sarah had just said this morning? You know, it was like, always God like wove that stuff together. It was always powerful and it grounded the reality of who God was and what he's been up to and what's true of us going forward. Yeah, that's excellent. I love that, Caesar. You know, two little words I say to myself all the time throughout the week, and maybe this will be helpful for someone else, as I just talk about discover and discern. So if God is actively involved in the lives of people around you, and he is, and the places around you, the first thing we have to do is discover what is he doing. So we have to become great observers, great Mm -hmm. listeners. We need to be noticing, paying attention. And then the second D word discern is then we discern how does he want us to lean into that? How does he want us to participate in what he's already doing? And that just kind of shifts the focus. And for me, that's what it means to live this out on a daily basis. So it's not just about Sunday morning, but it's about discovering, discerning what God is doing every hour of every day of the week, not just when we gather. And we're, and again, we're both, neither one of us are diminishing the importance of gathering. We are a gathered worshiping community, yep. but we're, but the church is so much more than the hour we gather on Sunday morning. Yeah. That's what we do. That's not who we are. Right. So, yeah. Well, we could keep going and going forever on this, brother. I hope people are getting the the basic impulse of your heart in this and your encouragement. It's mine with you. Let's reconsider the stories that we're telling. And I love you said, like, hey, don't keep talking about the amazing time you had gathered. But just remember, there's six days and 22 hours, and God is at work, and there's lots going on, and there's redemption happening, and there's restoration happening, and there's our hearts are changing and breaking. Tell those stories. Tell those stories, too, for sure. Amen. Well, thanks so much for being on. I I could keep going forever. I I know you've got some other people to get to blessing (laughs) and other things. Thanks for making the time to to share this little bit with us. And I was able to take your story that I saw out there in uh, the Facebooks land and uh, make it part of my story today. So thanks, brother. Always enjoy it, Caesar. Well, that was a lot of fun and packed with great insights. Can you feel the wisdom just pouring out of Brad? One more thought on how we can start to change the stories we're telling about the church. Perhaps we need to start by telling ourselves a different set of narratives. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the way we talk to each other. See, generally speaking, ask yourself, what is the collective narrative your church hears from her leaders and you hear from each other? For some leaders and people, the story they tell and hear a lot might be, Remember when we used to be alive and growing? And that you hear it a lot. Or for others, it might be something like, well, we're doing the best we can. There's been a lot of change around here. And sometimes a scarcity mindset creeps into everything, and our story becomes more like, well, we can't afford that right now. You know what else? Sometimes cynicism gets into the mix. Things like, well, we don't have a leader, or we've had so many leadership changes over the years, or I hear this one a lot. Our leadership is just not into this discipleship and whole this missional thing. They just don't get it. Have you taken note of the phrases that you say or hear often about your local church? What are the things repeatedly coming out of your mouth? Maybe you've been saying, well, one of these days we'll do this. And maybe this is just about you and your family. I don't know. Or maybe you'll find yourself saying, if we just had our own building, we could... Dot, dot, dot. Or we're too small to really have an effect on dot, dot, dot. I don't know. The list could be as long as you can imagine. Maybe it's 
you know, locational or we're too far out of the city or everything's changed so much or no one in our church will do anything. We're stuck in the past. Is that what you're hearing a lot? Words and language and stories really do shape us. And as we talk and discuss, if we're not careful, we'll be shaped by the negative stories that we tell ourselves, the limiting stories we tell each other. Then here's what happens. The perceived problems become our focal point. We need to begin to tell a different narrative within the church. And maybe that's where we actually start. Just this last week, I didn't even know for sure what I'd be talking about, but I received an email from Donald Miller, and he is a believer, but he blogs and writes and does a lot connected to story, generally speaking to business. But he sent out a little email, and he said, here are three simple things every leader should do if they want to succeed. Okay, so put this into your own context, but I've gone back and read this multiple times this week, and I think it really... Oh, it really helps to motivate my heart in light of this whole discussion today. So if you're a leader, think about this. He says, first, invite your team into a story. Wake up every morning, point to the horizon, and let everyone on your team, I'd say in your church, know where we're going. Second, he says, explain why that story matters. Explain in clear and simple terms why the story of going to and arriving at that specific destination matters, why it's important, why people should care. And then three, he says, give every team member, and I'd say every member of your church, a role to play in the story. Look at their skills and abilities. Find them an important role to play in that story. Wow, I love that, and that helps me to reshape and form my heart as well as we begin to think about the stories we're telling ourselves And then the stories that we're telling out there into the culture. What do people think this is all about? What do we think it's all about? This has really caused me to think deeply this week. And I hope this has helped you as well to think differently about all of this. All right, now I want to give you the big three takeaways from today's topic. So as always, if nothing else, you don't want to miss these. And you can get a printable PDF of this week's big three as a free download by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Big three. Now, here's the big three for this week. Number one, it's time we change the stories we tell about the church and our mission. If we're serious about changing the culture within the church, then we must begin to change the narrative that our leaders tell. If the only stories we're telling through social media and to others are who is preaching or what you're preaching and how amazing the worship band was on Sunday or how many people are showing up, then we'll continue to get and be what we continue to highlight and tell stories about. Mm -hmm. Number two, if our relationship with God is largely transactional, then that's how we'll view the church. Ask yourself, do you have a real daily, moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus and his Father? Or are your prayer times rare, sterile, and largely asking or maybe telling God to do these things for you. God desires a relationship of trust with you that is real and present, a relationship. He's longing to draw you into his bigger story. And in so doing, rewrite the story of your life, and not just your afterlife, but today, tomorrow, with your family and friends and within the church. 
And number three, don't miss this, recognize the power of stories. And let's start by changing the stories we tell each other about the church. What is the narrative your church hears from our leaders and each other? Words and language and stories really do shape us. If we're not careful, we'll just be shaped by the negative stories that we keep telling and hearing. Turn this around by intentionally taking the time to discover where God is already at work around you and then discern how he wants you to lean in and participate with him. Start to tell more of those stories within the church body and out to the watching and listening world. All right, I hope that's helpful. It's been fun. Thanks again to Brad Briscoe for being on with us. But that's it for this week. I hope you'll join me next time as we talk about how our discipleship needs to, gets to, be holistic. Not just addressing what we traditionally call spiritual things or sin management, churchy stuff, but a holistic discipleship that speaks into and transforms all the areas of our lives. I'll try and expand your thinking on this. Can't wait. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day. 